Welcome to Reputation Town. Okay, episode two. And uh, episode one is not even public yet, so we're, we're off to a great start. Uh, but it also means we haven't, haven't had a chance to be canceled yet. <laughs> <laughs> I like where this is going. This is great. Uh, yeah, I always have the, the five-second cancel filter is always in operation here. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, is it Monday. I think it's Monday. I know people are not going to know yeah. care what day of the week it is, but it feels like it's already Wednesday for me this week for uh, some reason. You're busy in the in the land of managing reputations. You probably can't tell us what you're working on these days, but it, you from your from your text it sounded like things are busy. Yeah, just uh you know what I found is that and I'm sure this is not uncommon, but uh, well, not having to commute is a great thing. It also means that just about every minute of the day is back to back with, with things you live at work. It pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So last time we, we, this is for anyone listening, this is pretty willy nilly. We're just kind of like just chit chatting. We started out last time with a little off topic banter, which I, mm-hmm. I would like to make a, a, a regular segment and we can get some singers like off topic banter or something like that. <laughs> um, and it was the Beeple NFT thing. Do you have any off-topic banter you'd like to sh- start out with today? Well, other than to say, just picking up on that um, Beeple discussion, which it seems to have like completely left the news, but it was interesting that when they did reveal who purchased that artwork, it was somebody else in the NFT space, and you know, if I'm in that, if I'm in, a, if I'm in a market, I'm trying to develop a market out of nothing throwing my money into perpetuating the market and getting, getting a ton of media out of it at the same time is a great way to uh, advance that market. And so I, I go back to the sort of what we were talking about. Is this, is this a real thing or is it, is it a complete bubble? And the fact that it was not really an uninterested party that ended up throwing a bunch of money at it leads me to believe that, Mm. yeah, there probably is a bubble to it. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a thing going forward, but I just feel like um, it's it it's uh, go back to Alan Greenspan irrational exuberance. Well, would you go so far as to say that if that it's uh, manipulation? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I don't think so. Why not? Would you say that? Well, I don't know. Like the way you were describing it, I thought it's. I felt like that's what you were kind of getting at. Well, I think you it's, have this market that doesn't exist, and you have someone who comes along and throws sixty nine million dollars for basically a JPEG, like a fancy one, albeit. And uh, it makes news all over the world. And now the market has been created Um, that, you know, the market is the market, but that seems like, and it wasn't money, money. It was like, it was cryptocurrency money that was Mm -hmm. was purchased with. Right. So um, again, I I have the feeling we're going to look back at this in 10 years and look like Fred and Barney just (laughs) (laughs) missing the boat. No one's going to know that reference to like any millennials. Who the hell's Fred and Barney? <laughs> That's true. But then again, I'm so, assuming that anybody's listening to this. Nobody yet, but th- that's to come. So when you look uh, at the news this week, what stood out for you? 
I'm still really confused about what's going on with real estate prices. And, uh, you know, I'm watching, you know, obviously the headlines in the news. I'm not really, I'm not really in the market for a house, but, um, what I've seen over the past couple of years, like obviously we've been saying this can't keep going, can't keep going, but things seem irrationally just insane right now. Um, you know, I've, I've heard about bidding wars with 32, 32 people in and, and prices, you know, 30, 40% higher than asking and, uh, um, you know, waiving all conditions. And I heard about one where they were lining people up and you only got 15 minutes in the house. You got 15 minutes to look through it and the offers were due that night. And like, you know, I've spent more time picking out records <laughs> at a record store, you know, 15 minutes for the biggest purchase of your life. And in it's every every market, you know, my family uh, is up from Sault Ste. Marie, I was talking to them up there and they said like, it's never ever been like this cottage country is going, the same people are snapping things up. And uh, yeah, I'm not an expert by any stretch, but it just, as an observer, it seems to me like it, it looks kind of like a Ponzi scheme. And I think everyone is just assuming they're not gonna be the last person holding the bag, that they'll be able to get the, you know, sell it to someone else. And at what point, you know, does this, if interest rates go up a little bit, this is going to be, or, you know, if, if some crisis, a recession, like there's, they said that uh, house prices haven't done what they're doing now since right before the uh, great, or the global financial crisis. And that's not, that's not good to hear. I see you nodding your head there. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree. You know, especially when you see the, it's not just the, the amount of appreciation, it's the acceleration in prices. Right. That, it's been frantic. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I don't everyone, not, not everyone agrees with him, but David Rosenberg used to be the chief economist at Merrill Lynch here in Toronto and then actually in New York. He's got his own consultancy now. But he was on the record last week saying that, you know, all, all of the warning signs that he saw flashing before 2008 are are flashing again. Obviously not for the same reasons, but it's really just the the market values in the housing market. Uh, and then of course, you know, people are using homes as, um, as piggy banks and, the, and they're borrowing against them that could have, could have interesting effects on the economy if, if uh, it is a bubble and it does, it does contract. And then when things go south, everyone's waiting for the government to kind of like bail them out, which is. Uh, yeah. And the interesting thing is after a pandemic, I'm not sure there's much left in the piggy bank. Well, they just keep making it. Like, just everyone's just printing new money that doesn't exist. This is true. This is true. And like, I'm just I'm talking out of my ass at this point. I really, like, <laughs> I just remember. Yeah, I'm an English major. What, what do you expect? But I remember, I took economics in high school, and I remember the first day. You know, supply and demand, and you can't print money. That was that's basically all I remember from that whole course. And uh, the supply and demand thing, I think, holds up. But mm. uh, the other part, you know. Governments are printing trillions of dollars and just this, you know, inflation is just going to be a freight train, I think, down the road, which, you know, if, if anyone's been able to save any money over the last couple of years, that's going to just erode the hell out of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It'd be interesting to see. I don't know. Um, any other off topic stuff or do you want to just jump into uh, the reputation piece? Uh, let's, let's dive in. All right. So um, why don't you just throw uh, spin your rotisserie there and 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 uh tee one up well the thing that's that struck me in this past week was the the we charity or we foundation or whatever it's whatever it calls itself 
issue that came up because uh, the Kielbergers are going to be, you know, testifying to Parliament about the whole, I guess, calamity of their um, program. They they had hoped to run with the federal government, and then of course it led to the the organization being really just shut down in Canada. I just find it fascinating to watch these kinds of organizations that get into trouble and whether it's of their own making or not, like they've, they found themselves in trouble because of um, the program that they were uh, intending to run with the federal government. It was the Canada student service grant, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the the reaction is to fight. Uh, And, and I think I shared with you, you know, one of the things I saw, which was, um, I don't think it's the organization itself. I think it's like a foundation adjacent to the organization, but it's probably controlled by it. Um, it was doing a social campaign on LinkedIn and I presume perhaps other places. And I think the headline was, you know, Canada um, owes the WE organization an apology. And and um, I don't know, just it, to me, that is, is very... Uh, it's almost a Trumpian response, right? When you're in it, when you're in the mix, you double down and you, you fight um, versus, you know, you're, what you normally say is that if, if you're looking to get out of a, a, a difficult situation like that, you know, show some contrition, pivot to a, a stronger or more stable footing. And, you know, you can move forward with with rebuilding your reputation or protecting it or whatever the situation is. I just find it interesting that in, in after four years of seeing that play out uh, down in the U.S., here's an organization here in Canada who's trying the same thing. And I don't know if, I'm not saying that they are, um, have done anything wrong or anything, obviously, but they're certainly in the middle of, midst of a controversy and finding your way out I just find it interesting that they're they're deciding to take this path to try and find their way out of the controversy. I don't know. Do you, did you have any thoughts on that? Don't. Well, didn't, didn't they do something? Did they do something wrong? Do we know? Like based on what's been out in the news, it sounds like there was some like kind of shady dealings with the government. Or do you think this is just politics and they are uh, just accidental roadkill? I think it is like probably mostly politics, you know, uh, who knows? Like this, at the end of the day, this I think the controversy came down to the fact that the um, uh, I'm not sure there was a real process or if, what kind of process that was run to select them. How that uh, you know squared up with what the government normally does or should do when it comes to deciding who's going to run a program like that. I don't know. Like at the end of the day, they can kind of make up whatever rules they want. I'm not sure if it, it followed or not. But I think the challenge was is that they were perceived to be um, as part and parcel of this conflict of interest that the prime minister was alleged to have. And and as a result, they sort of got wrapped up in it. Um, Mm. So, again, does that mean they did something wrong? Maybe one of those things where, you know, wrong place, wrong time. And a different time, a different person, it may not have been an issue. Regardless, I think they, the fact of the matter is they found themselves in the middle of, middle, middle of a problem. And the, the playbook they're using to get out of it is one that, I don't know, I'm not sure it's been that successful. 
Oh no, it hasn't. I don't think it's worked at all. And for um, this, this is a quite this is a Canadian scandal. So this is like a you know small ass scandal. Like this, <laughs> you know, for anyone who's listening in in the states or uh, or or abroad, you can search it. Like it's the We Charity W E Capital, and there's this conflict of interest in these two brothers, and they've they've been around for what like twenty five some years. Really successful organization. Mm-hmm. These massive events at you know like Rogers Center, and you know tens of thousands of kids, and raising tons of money, and you know like like rock stars are hanging out with Oprah and stuff like that, and the Obamas. But um, really, they've really reputationally have hit some some really hard times. And yeah, it was interesting to see what they did last week. It's, you know, I'd be interested to know who's giving them counsel, because it sounds like it seems like one of those things where these guys are, uh, you know, have no insider knowledge about this. But it seems like they're just a little out of touch and they're looking at what's taking place. They are really angry about um, their their organization being basically gutted, and they're 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 lashing out at, at the government. They've like burning bridges, like the stuff that they were saying. They show up on, um, you know, here we are, you know, twelve months into a pandemic, and they can't even get a friggin' Zoom call right. Like they're just the 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 backdrop, the lighting, the the framing, like and, and you know, someone said maybe they're look, making it look like that on purpose so they don't look super like stylish and mm-hmm. polished. And, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Like you know, it just it just and they had their lawyer sitting beside them. There, there's the two brothers plus their lawyer. Just this it looks like you know. I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't send a good look, and they start just flailing out and attacking the government. And it just uh, it it seems like all the stuff we talk about, you know, empathy, transparency, timeliness, contrition. I think that was the word you used. Saw none of that with 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 those uh, those individuals. So um, one of the quotes that I saw from from their statement is the following: "This is a political scandal for the government, not we charity." The government hid behind a children's charity by letting it take the fall for their political decisions. Like that is a, you know, that that's a bridge that's really burnt and to be throwing the government under the bus. And what are they thinking is going to happen at this point? Like that everyone's going to go, Oh, Oh great. Okay. And they kind of just reinstate trust. It just, it's a, it's a terrible look on the way down. Yeah. Um, I saw one story on the CBC website. This is on Friday afternoon. I was doing some research on this. And uh, one one story on CBC's website had eighty four hundred and fifty comments, and they were all wow. negative. Really, just just like who do these guys think they are, and just the conflict of interest with the government. So, if you talk about reputations, this one seems to be not uh, not not going very well. I'd be I'd be interested. What do you think? Like, was this a foregone conclusion, or do you think that there was something they could have done earlier in this process? Because this has been going on for for quite some time. What what do you think if they had a time machine they could go back and maybe fix this somehow? Well, the relationships that really matter are the ones with their corporate donors, and I didn't actually realize how extensive the organization was in the U.S. They had a number of large U.S. donors who, where they were doing programs for for them in the uh, those organizations in the U.S. And you know, you and I have both talked about before. It's no surprise corporations are often quite you know skittish of being in the midst of controversy that uh and and are quick to uh distance distance themselves from suppliers or in this case partners who are in the midst of a controversy and 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 the the things that the we foundation has done is really not been to try and minimize um the 
the debate in public. It, it was really like very publicly aired right from the beginning. And, you know, if, if, if this is one of the situations where you want to think about your, what are your long-term business goals and the communications has to be mapped against what am I trying to achieve for the bit for the organization in the longer term, like a short term, there may be some issues longer term. What, are, what am I trying to get to? And, and what are the, who are the stakeholders that are important to achieve those long-term goals and then gearing your communications to meet the, the needs of, of satisfying those, those stakeholder needs in this case, because you have corporate donors, I'd want to, I'd want to, you know, bring, manage this to ground as quickly as possible. It, it was very difficult to at the beginning because of it, it being so wound up in the po- politics of it. And of course the opposition was using this as a, as a, um, a significant, um, uh, I guess weapon in, in question period and other places. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, the strategy would have been let's try and manage this down as quickly as possible. Was, was, it, was that possible in this case? I don't know if it actually was given the, the way it was politicized so quickly, but you know what it does is it speaks to the need to really think through the public affairs issues associated with um, whenever you do business with the government. Like I'm not sure a $900 million sole sourced, or I think it was sole sourced. I'm not sure there was much of a competition around it, but or if there was, I think one of the criticisms was the competition wasn't as robust as, as government uh, contracting typically seems typically uh, is. And, and because of that, you know, an evaluation of what risks come associated with that kind of contracting or, you know, partnerships, and and thinking ahead about how do I minimize them, how do I manage them, how do I account for them, and and try and um, you know try and avoid the circumstances from happening. I, I don't know if any of that was done in this case, but in my mind, that that's one of the key things. That if I had to go back, it would be like starting from first principles, evaluating like what what am I really getting into here, and and what what are the possible ways that could, this could go sideways. Right at the beginning, before they even entered the contract, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So what, like when the story broke, what was it in the summer? Was it in like last May or something? It was like somewhere around there. I don't know the exact month, but would it be possible? Like if, if you're going to end up burning the bridge and just scorching the government, what if they had done it on day one? Right. What if they come out on day one? And I'm just thinking this through real time. Like I still don't think it's the best strategy, but if you know that eventually you're going to get there 12 months from now, you're going to be like flamethrowing your relationship with the government. Why not do it right out of the gate and then maybe you can save some of those corporate relationships because, you know, you would change the narrative at least. Like if you're going to go attack mode, you don't want to do it 10 months later. You want no. to do it right. You know, that's and, you know, say what you will about Donald Trump. Like, uh, I think did we talk about him last time too? Um, say what you will about the guy. He was a counterpuncher right out of the gate, like bang, right in the face every time. And um, obviously you you leave a lot of carnage around that, but it's it can be an effective strategy. But no, I think um, you're right. I think if hey, if you're going to go there, go there right away. Too little, too late. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is uh, and I, I don't think I'm telling stories out of school here. I, uh, you know, we we've been in the corporate communications business for decades and I was going like I thought, you know, I I. I had some kind of dealing with these guys at some point. And so I went, I went into my uh, email and I searched for their names and I found an email from, from someone who worked in their communications group many, many, many years ago and said, uh, Hey, we're trying to set up media training for, uh, I think it was, uh, 
the Craig, the, the like the main, there's a, the main guy. Is mm-hmm. it Craig or? Yeah, Craig, I think. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, they said this organization's getting, you know, it's growing and we want to have media training. So I sent a proposal in and uh, they ended up, I think yeah, they got back and said, you know, we ended up going to somebody else, blah, blah, blah. And then I can't. And that, yeah, it happens all the time. That's fine. But I remembered, you know, you, you remembered like little things about that. And so as I'm watching them, you know, repeating the negative language and falling into these traps, like I'm not saying that that would have fixed it, but I'm just like, man, like how one little decision like that can, like who who would think that you would be in this massive countrywide crisis six or seven years later and that something as m- seemingly minuscule as a, a half day media training session. Cause it, you know, I think whoever did it, I don't know. You didn't do it. Hopefully <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I'm like trying to read your face. Like, Oh shit. <laughs> but like whoever did it, it didn't, you know, the, the lessons didn't stick or, you know, you, you can lead a horse to water too. In many cases you can teach an executive what to do, but the, uh, just the, the lack of savvy, if you're going to have a, a company that big and if you're going to be the 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 lightning rod for it you should be able to take take your lumps whether you're you know do, uh, being grilled by the government or grilled by the media um, they basically said that they got canceled by by politicians like they're trying to use cancel culture as a shield for this which is you know what and like i i was looking at a lot of the coverage and you know mclean's magazine said the brothers were frustrated and testy um Another organization said they were they came across as spoiled kids. They were arguing with uh, MPs during their testimony. Like, I'm not sure what they're hoping comes out of this at this point because it's just, uh, yeah. I wonder who's. I wonder who who or maybe they're maybe they're coming up with this on their own. Maybe they're, well, they're they are their own strategy. You have to wonder what the end game is. But you know, to, here's here's a question for you: Is somebody like I, I remember Kielberger when, well, when he started his, I think he was like. 10 or something or 12. He was a kid, yeah. He was a kid. And, you know, he was he was in the limelight with his um, uh, child labor uh, work he was trying to promote, anti-child labor work he was trying to promote. Yeah, the opposite. It, yeah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't like child labor. No, note to self. Yeah. Uh, the, but somebody like that who's in the media right from such a young age and has done all these interviews and as you point out, is, you know, hanging with celebrities, are they actually media trainable? For sure. Yeah. Everybody's media trainable, but like, did anybody, and you know, we're just speculating, like, you know, I don't, I don't, don't know these individuals, but like just all, all, you know, and that's the point. No one knows these individuals. All you're, you're making a decision about their trustworthiness and who they are as people based Mm -hmm. on the two minute clip you see on the news. And that's, that's not fair, but that's, it's been like that for a long time. It's been like that for, for many decades. And so that's why this stuff is important. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people at that level who, you know, I, would look at, uh, look at the dude from, from Gymshark, Ben Francis, mm-hmm. you know, um, like in his twenties and the, the very savvy guy and would, I would say knock on wood would never, would never put his foot in his mouth like that would never be lashing out at the government like that. It's just, uh, you have to think in terms of this being a chess match, if that's the move you make, what happens 10 moves down, down the board? Or Mm -hmm. do they think like everything is over? So we might as well just like try to take everybody down with us. I I don't know, but it's, uh, it's, it's unpleasant to see. And, um, 
you know, I don't know, not much about them in the news this week, but it's just, it wasn't a good look. You know, you had the lawyer there, like that sends a bad signal. I don't, you know, I don't know how much he said and just the argumentative and the, the chirpiness and the, the just, it seemed, it seemed kind of immature. Yeah. Well, I think I would, I would agree. We actually, you often see that dynamic of the person and their lawyer going on the news show in the evening. And you always wonder like, what, what is the lawyer actually going to do there? Is he going to leap in front of the camera <laughs> when, when his client starts saying something that is, is not on, on message? I, I always think well, let me ask you this. Kind of when you, when you like, even before you hear a word, when you see the lawyer sitting there, what's your first assumption? Well, it, it shows that, you know, there, there, there's a level of risk around them that they, they're, they're frightened of something. And so, yeah. You know, they're, they're a little worried, so they got to have the lawyer there. Yeah, just the optics of it weren't yeah. uh, weren't great. Is, is the story done now, or do you think there's going to be another chapter to this? My guess is they're. My guess is that, given the the politics of it, it's gonna it's gonna rear its head again at some point. Probably around election time. Poss- possibly. Uh, you know, when I look at the lessons of that, I think they're they're. Like obviously there, it's easy to dunk on people who aren't doing a great job, but mm. you know, none and not every organization is going to find themselves in front of the spotlight to that degree. But you know, the, the idea of, of transparency and when, when, when something does go wrong, not, not necessarily, not necessarily, not necessarily saying, Oh, I made a mistake. Cause maybe sometimes you find yourselves in a circumstance where through no fault of your own, um, there's something that has caused reputational damage has happened. These ideas of transparency, contrition, being seen to do the right thing. You know, those are, those are stable uh, things that you always have to be thinking about because uh, they're going to more than often than not, they're going to be the pathway to safety and pathway to protecting your reputation. And, you know, this is obviously a situation where we don't see those things, but um, I think I think organizations could just be well to keep those in mind. Sounds like the Mister Rogers approach to communications. <laughs> One of the other things that occurred to me is because you know they're reading all these old emails, like they'd ask a question, and then they would the brothers would answer it a certain way, and then they'd say, "Well, you know, on this email and such and such date." And like, if you're if you're on a leadership team of an organization. You have to be really careful even now with never mind your you know news releases and interviews. It's the emails that you're sending to suppliers and clients and employees. You have to have that filter that, first of all, you know, send your personal stuff through your personal email, send your business stuff through your business email, but then never put anything in an email that you wouldn't want to see on the front page of the internet or on Twitter or, you know, with the government. And not, you know, not assuming that anyone's doing anything wrong, but like, you know, you really need to be careful in the way that you communicate because as, as we've seen, when, when the shit goes down, people are going to be going into those servers and your emails are going to be on public display or, Mm -hmm. you know, WikiLeaks or someone like that is going to grab them. And so you need to, you know, you need to communicate that way, just not externally, internally, like ideally you want to have, you know, you just want to have a nice way of communicating professionally um, even if you have issues with with someone, um, there's there's a there's a polite way to do it. And I think there's no excuse for uh, for, uh, for for the alternative. But you know, I think in terms of lessons, it would be 
uh, humility. Like it, this is one of those stories, you know, it, it, it reminds you of Icarus a little bit mm-hmm. flying a little too close to the sun, a little too big and like nothing can go wrong. And they were, they were the darlings, but it reminds me of like Blackberry, you know, Blackberry was, they dominated the smartphone market. One of the biggest companies, $280 share price. And then they they just got complacent. And maybe that's what happened here. They fell asleep with the switch and Apple came and ate their lunch. And maybe there's, um, you know, if everyone's telling you how amazing you are, maybe you start buying that mm-hmm. and maybe that kind of erodes those muscles. And maybe you think that the the rules of media relations and, and reputation management don't apply to you. Like, I think there is a little bit of that when you get that big. Because this, this is a huge, it's a billion dollar organization. I, I think that's that's probably the truth is probably somewhere in there, and, and, and you know your point about in the way that people communicate internally, I don't, I don't think can be overstated because it doesn't take a heck of a lot to actually lose your entire email database to um, someone intruding into your system. I, I I have one of the the other hats I wear for our organization is overseeing IT and. There isn't a day that goes by when there aren't, you know, dozens of attempts to, to, to break into the system, you know, get access one way or another, and you know, you see, you see organizations where somebody's fallen prey to a phishing attempt and they've given up their login credentials, and the next thing you know, you know, their entire data email database is floating on their, around on the internet, and as you point out, all those you know, emails that were internal, but maybe not so artfully worded or worse uh, are all of a sudden on display. And uh, it really, you know, obviously you want to try and you want to try and um, avoid those situations from happening. So you have good, good policies and procedures, but uh, better yet, let's not, let's not have uh, a culture of communication where, you know, people feel it's okay to, you know, send those things around because it's, 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 you know, you, you can't discount this from happening because it has happened to, to a lot of places. Well, it's a self-inflicted wound, right? Yeah. And uh, the world, the world's hard enough to navigate without you kicking yourself in the head. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. What's up next? So I, I, it was just a small thing. And I don't know if we want to talk about it a ton, but I've had an interesting, you know, there was a, a story in the news this week about a young woman who was a very, successful journalist at Axios in the US. Alexi McCammond was her name. And she got a job as executive, uh, I think it was like executive editor or editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue magazine, which is a Condé Nast publication. And and shortly after getting the getting the position, uh, it came out that she had, when she was 17, 10 years ago when she was 17 years old, had, had uh, sent a number of tweets that were you know, un- under the bright light of uh, today, you know, are, were racist or, you know, can be perceived as insensitive or otherwise um, hurtful. And and I think, you know, this was particularly uh, emphasized because of the, the spate of anti-Asian violence that's happened in the U.S. And so she had to resign or did resign from her position Um at the, at the magazine and, and it started a a debate about, you know, social media and, you know, um, should, should a mistake when someone's young and, you know, says something, uh, says something like this, that's obviously unacceptable that they've, you know, 
since apologized for and, you know, I've had this great sort of a, 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 an oppressive career since then. Should that really just like take away all their opportunity uh, when it comes to light? And uh, as it or not in this case, obviously she'll move on to something else. So in this case, it took away a, an, an opportunity. But I, I found an interesting, uh, an interesting debate because the the amount of time people are going to spend on social media is only going to increase. And the amount of uh, people who now obviously grow up with social media as part of their uh, uh, upbringing is, is just, that's, that's the norm now. Uh, I found this discussion interesting because on one hand, you know, posting racist things isn't appropriate under any circumstances. On the other you know, is there a path to is there a path to redemption for people anymore, or are we in a place where any kind of any kind of transgression means you know you're you're going to wear that for the rest of your life? And I and I, and mm-hmm. I think this was particularly um, difficult circumstance because, and I think, I think Malcolm Gladwell was was the one I thought put it best was given that she's it was a young black woman you know he put the lens on it that if if this if she were a white person chances are they would she would have received um uh, more of more of a second chance than um than her because she was black I don't know if this is going to mean that people are going to change the way they perceive these kinds of mistakes and how they're how they're interpreted but it certainly is, is something that organizations will have to wrestle with more and more because I can't imagine this is going to be the last opportunity or last cha- last situation where this, this happens. Hmm. I saw Malcolm Gladwell's uh, thread as well. It was, he seemed pretty irritated by the story and he, you know, he had a bunch of questions for the leadership team there, like one after another, after another. And they were very, pointed you know instead of me summarizing them just go check them out online but they were really really and obviously he's using his clout and his um his his base to to try to get some airtime for the story and so many interesting elements to it and you know here we are a couple of white dudes i i i tried very lightly on this topic you know what i mean you talked mm-hmm. earlier about not getting canceled maybe it's episode two yeah um it's are you the same person that you were when you were 17 years old Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I hope not. Like <laughs> think someone said the other day, thank yeah. God our youths aren't, you know, the time, the years of our, like, you know, from 13 to 19 isn't, isn't recorded on the internet somewhere. Like, you know, I was jumping over kids on a bike in my driveway. Like, you know, the, these are not smart things to do. So, you know, on one hand, again, it's, you know, it's a very charged topic, very delicate and and obviously very important these days. But like, at what age does it kick in? Like, you know, can something that you say when you're 12 impact your employment when you're an executive at a bank? Like it's, uh, <clears throat> there's, there's so much going wrong with the world right now. And so many things need attention and a global pandemic and just all this, you know, just the, the, the stress and anxiety and drug overdoses and all that, that like the woke police thing seems just so frivolous to me. And the people who go out of their ways just to attack other people for something that you said 19 years ago. Like I think if I could have a magic wand, everybody would just pump the brakes a little bit and, and look at intention and, you know, judge comments when they're made. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, 
What was that magazine that went back years ago and they're trying to cancel John Wayne from some stuff that he said in the 1970s? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like not making excuses for the guy, but like, you know, what are you supposed to do when you go and enter the workforce? Do you go through your, your 42,000 tweets and, and, and sanitize them? Is that better? You know, I don't know. Like deleting the thing that you said, is that better? I don't know. Like it's, uh, I think Malcolm Gladwell said it best. And I don't know if there's been any answers to those questions, but it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. I, you know, I just, hopefully this individual um, ends up with, uh, with a decent job in the industry at some point, but it seems like one of those hot potato things where the organization is just like, all right, we're out. See you later. And uh, pushed her out the door. You know, I think that that's what it comes down to is that not every organization has the, has the patience or tolerance to, to, to manage a situation like that. So they find it easier just to get out of it. You know, I thought I thought you know, this this could have been a, an opportunity to you know use her experience to actually especially given the the wave of violence against Asians or violent incidents against Asians maybe use this as an opportunity to explore um you know uh tolerance and understanding and you know th- she could have been an ideal person to to maybe lead that discussion but um that's not what they chose so anyway I'm she's she she was glowingly talked about by so many other journalists in the U.S. that I'm sure she's going to have a bright future ahead of her. But um, I I wonder if this 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 trend of not accepting any any risk whatsoever when it comes to this stuff is going to going to stay the same and accelerate or or whatnot. It'll be it'll be interesting to watch and it'll be a challenge for communicators to to manage this because I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna occur again. And I think we had one more we wanted to hit on before uh, we wrap up today. And I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Huffington Post. Oh, yes. Canada. So this, I guess, goes uh, on the sort of broader status of the media in Canada. But, you know, the Huffington Post announced, or I guess BuzzFeed, which bought the Huffington Post as a, as a whole entire corporate entity, announced that it was closing down the Huffington Post in Canada and you know Canada's already a pretty small media market as it as it is concentration is something that people often refer to as a as being an increasing eh, not increasing it is a problem in Canada the media market's highly concentrated but here's another example of an acquisition which doesn't lead to uh more more journalism it leads to less uh, I didn't think it was I didn't, it just it was a sign of the times and a sign of the ongoing decline of journalism overall, given given the uh, uh, what we've seen over the past decade or more. And what, what were your thoughts on it? <clears throat> well, on one hand, yeah, um, there's there's been a, a ton of media jobs lost in the last two or three months alone. You saw Bell Canada with the atrocious timing of mm. um, firing hundreds of workers right after their Bell Let's Talk, uh, their big hashtag day. I think it was two days later that they just canned all these journalists. Like, just are you like who like, are you, come on, are you kidding me? Like who's in this room that, that, that doesn't say like, we might want to revisit the timing a little bit guys. Um, 
I think Rogers let a bunch of people go. I, I just saw the two uh, newspapers. I forget which one. Something like St. Catharines or something. They're they're getting rid of their newsrooms, so they're going to be like basically virtual newspapers. Which you know, you wonder how well you can do your job when you don't have a hub of of, of your people to work with. And so then um, the uh, the Huffington Post. So just a little bit a little bit of history here. So it was founded in 2005 by obviously uh, Ariana Huffington and a guy named Jonah Peretti, who is uh, BuzzFeed's chief executive officer right now, and uh, Andrew Breitbart, who has, uh, I just saw the other day, he passed away. I didn't know he was was not around anymore. But anyway, very controversial name. They're the ones who started it. They sold it to AOL in 2011 for, do you remember how much it was? I don't. $315 million. And then Verizon took over in 2015 when they bought AOL. And so um, BuzzFeed uh, recently acquired Huffington Post from Verizon. And less than a month later, they pulled this move. And the guy who did it was Jonah Peretti. So he's actually one of the founders. And so just it was interesting to see that thread that he's been kind of there all along. And on one hand, you have the hit to journalism, which is not great. Uh, you know, less journalists, I think, is always a bad thing. If you look through the eyes of just the public and, and you know, why are journalists there and what, what's their job? The thing that I found even worse than that was how it was done. And so my understanding is that, you know, I'm not laughing. Like, I just I can't believe that they did this. But they they had uh, they let everybody know basically in real time. They said they had a staff meeting. It was on like Zoom or Skype or whatever. And the password was "Spring is here." I don't do. You, do you remember hearing that? I did. Yeah, it's like happy little you know password. And so people are in the meeting, and they're basically uh, the website goes dark so that anyone who goes to it says you know we're basically shutting her down. You can see our archived articles, and the staff's finding out in real time. And basically, some people lost their jobs. Some people did not. The ones who didn't, the way they found out was that uh, Jonah Peretti apparently says to them, if you don't get an email from us by 1 p.m., your job is safe, which is like if, you know, hey, Siri, how do you handle an HR situation, <laughs> right? Like, I think that would be that would be better advice than this. And so it ends up in, you know, I saw the, oh, geez, I just activated my phone. <laughs> Siri's actually telling me how to manage an <laughs> HR crisis. It's... uh you know, you and I have worked on a number of things over the years together where, you know, there's the one we did uh, in the States, mm-hmm. like that'll be 10 years ago this year. And the media is a big piece. The employees are a bigger piece and the employees need to be told first. They need to be treated with compassion and empathy. Like, look, business is business. Sometimes things go sideways and you need to wind down operations or whatever, but you should always treat your employees like like gold Treat them with respect on the way out. Treat them like, you know, just the way that you'd like to be treated. And so it looks like none of that was happening here. There was a lot of anger and bitterness and just um, a really disgruntled group of folks. And then you have to wonder about the people who were left over. What, how do you, you know, if I'm, if so, if I didn't get an email by one o'clock and my job is safe, how am I feeling about my employer now? So um, this is two thumbs down because the hit to journalism and the, just the terrible way that it was communicated and um, just like a, just a black mark in terms of uh, journalism and HR. Just uh, I can't imagine have gone, have having gone worse. No, oh, well said. And in the middle of a pandemic also, you know what I mean? Shameful, mm-hmm. just shameful the way that was done. Well, no, you, you, you're exactly right. And it's obviously not, it's not, it's hard to, to do any kind of, 
layoffs or you know uh, structural changes to an organization in the middle of a pandemic because everyone's working remotely and you can't talk to anyone face to face. It's all got to be over the over a Zoom call. But to your point, can you can you can you say you treat people with compassion? Can you say you know even on the way out? Like I, you mentioned the the thing we worked on in the U.S. One of the things I recall about that is that is that the people, despite the fact that they were many of them were part time workers and single moms, they actually were appreciative of the company. The company tried to do as everything they could to save their jobs, and and, oh, and they treated them with respect. And they treated them with respect. And even on the way out, the people were disappointed and sad. But it wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of acrimony or recrimination. It was, um, it was really interesting to see how, you know, an employer like that who treats people with respect, how they're, how they're seen in the worst possible moment, right? When, uh, when they have to let them go. And obviously this isn't what uh, happened in this case. And unfortunately, I think it's, it's all it's all too common, especially in um, in in large organizations. It seems like you hear stories like this in the news you know, at least a few times a year, where you think, "Wow, who was who was leading that effort?" Because that certainly isn't the best practice. We should try to get somebody from there uh, on here one of these weeks. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Just to like say uh you know what was it like on the inside and you know hopefully they uh, they've received their severance by that time and they can say basically whatever they want yeah but um you know these these types of transactions are a reflection of leadership and you know the one you were talking about in uh, in Toledo that was um the leadership team went out of their way to say like we value these people and we want to you know it's a, it's an unfortunate it was after the global financial crisis and they were you know they they were losing a lot of money and they had to make this tough decision, but they treated people well and they communicated with them. The employees found out from their manager during a meeting and they answered all their questions and said, here's what we're going to do. And these, these journalists found out in the middle of their workday and like they said, okay, as of now, you don't have a job anymore. And, oh, and everyone else who's thinking they're they got fired. They're waiting for that magic email to come through. So, um, just, it's, uh, not, not a cool way, not a cool way to handle that. Yeah. Um, we should, uh, we should try to rustle up a guest for next time. What do you, what do you think? I think we should do that. Okay. We'll, we'll chat about that by text. Yeah. Um, so we called this thing reputation town. We, we talked, tossed around a bunch of different names. What do you want to call this? You know, I don't know if you want to talk about any of the, the, the ones that didn't make it, but we came up with that and you know, the, the kind of funny music at the beginning, we want to make kind of like a fun place that people could come and visit and hang out and hopefully, you know, join the conversation. Like if anyone, has strong feelings about any of these episodes, give us a shout. We'll bring you on. Like, we'll just kind of chop some of these ideas around. Um, but if we had to come up with a title, like, you know, if this were an actual town, reputation town, who, who do you want to be? <laughs> what do you want your role to be here? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll be the, Are you the mayor. Are you the mayor of reputation town? Uh, sure. I'll be the mayor. I think, okay. I, I think, um, I, as I think I alluded to before, I think you should be the sheriff. The sheriff. I don't know. Uh, I was cons- like, I think I'd be the guys who goes around watering the plants. 
<laughs> with a big truck full of water. That'd be me. I don't even know what you call that guy. The gardener in chief. I don't know. But um, no, don't. I, I love. I love. This is great. It's an opportunity. You know, we haven't been able to chat that much because um, we've both been super busy. But this is uh, the structured time for us to to get together and talk about the stuff. It's been fun. So. If anyone has any ideas about topics they'd like us to to look at, or if you want, uh, if there's someone you think you'd like to have on the show, send us a note. We're you know, available online, Twitter. You can you know email. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up this week? Uh, no, that's great. Let's uh, let's uh, put it in the books, and we'll come back for the episode three with something new and maybe a guest. See you next time, buddy. See ya. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.